Hey, so we just got done talking to Ben Faust, uh, just got out of the Marine Corps. Um, my first time ever talking to him. And my takeaway is that he's a very detail oriented guy who, you know, he was a gunsmith in the Marine Corps, but, you know, he brings that same level of detail orientation and passion that he puts in his guns and also brings it out to the range, which is kind of rare. You, you know, you see the gunsmith kind of stay on the gunsmithing side and rarely do you ever really see them go onto the competition side. And so that's really cool that he kind of does both things at a very passionate and competitive, competitive level. Yeah, that's exactly. You hit the nail on the head. And if you guys are looking at that podcast title, there will be FUD. It's because Ben primarily specializes in shooting revolver. I uh, recently went to nationals and that's a division where there's very little margin for error. And it kind of goes into what you were saying, Matt. He he enjoys the more demanding gunsmithing jobs. He's not content to just put ARs and Glocks together. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he actively seeks out stuff that is um, high, higher skill ceiling, more demanding of his time. And by his own admission, he's a perfectionist. And you really see that in both the way he prepares for competitions and the way he builds guns. But so we hope you enjoy this episode. Let us know what you think and enjoy. Shooters ready. Stand by. This is Matt Gunlock from the 3G IQ podcast. I'm joined here with Frank Gal, my co-host, and then I'm also joined here by Ben Faust. Frank, uh, if you could start the introduction. Hey, everybody. So Ben started as a armorer in the Marine Corps. First duty station was Paris Islands, PCS to first recon, and then that's the point at which he became a precision weapons armorer, the 2112. He then finished out his time in the Marine Corps at 3rd Marine Raider Battalion, and he's currently Mr. Faust. Currently a gunsmith at Stumpy's Custom Guns in Swansboro, North Carolina, specializing in 1911s and 2011s. Primarily competes in USPSA. He's a master in single stack carry optics and open and a grandmaster in revolver. Most recently competed at Revolver Nationals with an eighth place overall finish. He's also been a tremendous part of the stand-up of the two-mix shooting team as an instructor and coach, and has dedicated a lot of his personal time to grooming my shooters in preparation for the MCMIC and other USPSA events. A uh, good friend of mine, and Ben, glad you could join us on the show. I'm glad to be here. We'll just go right into it. Can you uh, talk about Revolver Nationals, and how do you feel you did overall considering mm. your level of preparation? Uh, Revolver Nationals was nerve-wracking it was my first nationals i've ever been to it was kind of like i slapped the table saying i was going to it and i committed to it uh my performance though uh i wasn't as consistent as i wanted to be 
uh, I would have a couple good stages and a couple bad stages. And all the advice I got was if you could shoot like your 75% through the entire match, you're, you're doing really well. So uh, coming in top 10, I think everyone that I talked to said that my turnout was great. Uh, I'm very critical of myself though. So I feel like I could have done a little bit better. My preparation towards nationals was, I feel like it could have been more, uh, just talking to other national champions and stuff. They've, they pretend their family doesn't exist for like a month going up to nationals. And I just can't do that. So they thousands of rounds a week. And I just, the I, I'm self-financed through all of this. I do everything myself. So I can't, I just can't afford that. And coming in eighth uh, and being in like the USPSA top 20, I am really proud of that, but I think I can get like top three next year at least. So how long have you been shooting revolver exclusively and why did you choose revolver? I bought that revolver in October of, 2019 and the first match i ever shot was june of the next year so june of 21 so exclusively shooting revolver is like less than a year uh i chose revolver because i wanted the most difficult thing i could do uh revolver really makes you be perfect you you can't mess up anything you can't take makeup shots you can't not you you can't get charlie's like if you get charlie's you're gonna lose so uh if your reload isn't perfect you're gonna lose if you're if your positioning is wrong you're gonna lose so i wanted something that was the most challenging platform that, that i could possibly do and uh i found like a niche that i could kind of wiggle into and see if I could like really enjoy it. And with how technical it was with how like walking up to a stage and you, you're doing like the most opposite thing that someone else is doing was really interesting to me. And I just kept going after it. So um, how, how did you choose your gear? Like, uh, you know, I'm a three gunner. I know kind of based off of what I've seen, this is the type of gear that's going to work for me, you know, from caddies to magazines to pistols, like what made you choose your pistol specifically and how do you choose the gear that you're going to wear on you? So the pistol itself is a Smith and Wesson 929 and it's the only gun used in revolver and uspsa generally speaking uh unless you get like some really custom 629 or something along those lines it's got to be a eight shot either 38 super or nine millimeter and you're either going to get a really really expensive custom gun or you're going to get the 929 jerry mitchellick edition so the gear ruger makes one but at nationals two people shot a ruger okay so it's not many people shoot it uh so to be competitive you got to get a smith you got to get a 929 it's what everyone shoots 
So with, uh, with like rig and stuff, that's, I experimented a lot with it. So I bought my first 929 used and it came with a speed beast holster and a, it's like a four post moon clip holder. And it just kind of sucked. Uh, I looked around at like what Michael Pogge, uh, Rich Wolf, Jerry Mitchell, uh, Julie Golub, all the, like Rob Latham, like what they shot revolver with and what like moon clip holders they were using. And I just found what worked for me. Uh, my wife actually got it to me as a, a uh, I believe it was a Christmas present. And it, so she surprised me with like a really nice setup and uh, I got a new holster because, or like I went away from the speedies holsters to a double alpha racer holster because uh, I had that revolver almost fall out of that holster like three times. So mm. I would literally have to like, like elastic band it into the holster to make it sit there. So I just wanted something more secure. So I got a, uh, a holster that can be adaptable to other guns. Uh, I didn't really want a ghost. I didn't really want to see our speed. So I got what I got the best holster I feel like I could have bought and it, it worked out really well. So what's your favorite part of shooting revolver and why is it trying to find all your moon clips after you shoot each? <laughs> um, my favorite part is stage planning. It's the big stage. I used to hate field courses. I used to hate memory stages. Those are bar none my favorite stages now. I want 31 round stages that make me run 50 yards. I, I want that because they're the most technically challenging. They are very, very difficult. So uh, when, and with those big field courses, it also does make, make you search for moon clips like really bad. So, but with, with field courses and stuff, that's what I really got into Revolver for was being able to learn how to and really, really hone and develop the stage planning process, which really does carry over into every other division. So not just Revolver or low cap. I'm with honing my revolver stuff. Like I can shoot a high cap stage. Like I, I don't even have to think about it because it's so easy. So uh, I'm drawing some parallels here uh, and it might be a stretch. All right. So your passion with revolver, like, so the, basically the way you describe revolver is you have to be very precise with everything that you do. Is there a parallel there with you being a 2112 gunsmith where you have to be precise with everything you do there? Um, I, I bet people would call me a perfectionist uh, if they were to describe me. So probably. Um, and I'm just, I just like, I've always pushed myself really hard to do stuff. Like when I was like joining the military and I was like, well, what branch do I want to go down? I was like going off the list. I was like, well, the Marine Corps is the hardest. So let's just do that. And then I was like, okay, uh, what unit do I want to go to? When I was at Paris Island, I was like, I want to go to a deployable unit. It needs to be whatever. I need to do this, this, and this. And they're like, first recon. I was like, send me there. 
So I went there and then I was like, I need to go to 12 school. That's what I joined the Marine Corps for. Went there and I was like, hardest unit I could go to. What is it? Marsoc. Got it. So I went there. Uh, I've always just kind of like made myself do the hardest thing I possibly could just because I was entertained by it. So um, I want to talk real quick about that stage planning. And Ben, you and I had this conversation um, when we are coming back from Sir Walter. We talked about going from low-cap divisions to high-cap divisions, and you talked about how much easier it is. Just for everyone's understanding, those of you in the audience that don't necessarily shoot USPSA, if you're shooting like a pistol caliber carbine, you can get away with like a 30-round mag. If you're shooting carry optics, your mag holds up to like 23. Production holds like 10 rounds per Ben literally has eight rounds before he goes dry. I have watched him shoot his rounds, realize that he uh, has to make he, he has to make a makeup shot, and then he'll reload, take the makeup shots, and then he'll reload again on the move. Um, it's hard to describe, but like, how many moon clips are on your belt at the same time? Eight. Yeah. And have you ever gone through all? I've the most I've gone through is six. Yeah, still, still a little close for comfort. Yeah. Um, but just to give everyone an idea of how demanding Revolver really is. So we talked a little bit. So you're going to hit nationals again next year. What are some other shooting goals that you have in mind for the near future? Um, honestly, my, my goals are really small because they take a really long time and are habit-forming. So mine are just like super little things like uh, the, or it's, it's little in the form of what you can see, but it's really big when it comes to match performance in general. So little things are efficiency and movements. So uh, how I take a, my initial step, how I draw, how I bring my gun to my eye line those are just like little micro efficiencies that like will build up over time. Then the, the bigger thing for me is visual discipline is something that I'm learning still. So when, when I first started off, I would just like first sight picture, send to no clue, no clue that second round went off to, but my grip and my, like awareness of how my body worked generally worked out for me. When I shot nationals where I was shooting 35 yard open targets on a hard lean, that was when I was like, you should probably really figure out where that second round's going because I don't know. So uh, those are the things that, in my opinion, are my big shooting goals for this year. And the reason I'm harking on these small, small things is because when you look at match standings at a national level match, you have 20 stages. And the between the number one guy and me was 30 seconds and 48 points. That is an average of 1.2 seconds per stage. 1.2 seconds, that's it. And then one extra shot better instead of one delta with an alpha. So that those tiny, tiny little things really, really do add up over two days of matches. 
So you've served in a variety of Marine Corps units, operational units. Um, from your perspective as a armor and gunsmith, what aspect of Marine Corps weapons culture would you change if you could? The, I, the weapons culture is a really hard thing to change or even move. Be, and I, I was thinking a lot about this. And it, it really comes down to like the Marine Corps has to do lowest common denominator stuff. They've, they've got to teach a guy who's never heard a gun go off to being able to hit a target somewhat effectively at 500 meters in two weeks. Like that's their job. So uh, logistically and manpower wise it's really hard to expand much more than that without the individual person wanting to get better so as much as i think the thing that would help the mentality of weapon systems in the marine corps is go from like in this has always been my opinion in basic training you learn basic marksmanship and how to shoot a rifle properly and well, like your, your fundamentals need to be solid at, after basic training. And then once you get into the fleet, I think the rifle qualifications need to change. So instead of being, and I know like ARQ is, is different now, but like honest doing a bullseye style in boot camp and then transitioning to an actual practical rifle shooting afterwards like i understand how to shoot a rifle i understand how to aim i understand trigger control and all the concepts that require me to shoot golf balls at 300 yards like i can do that when a marine comes into a unit it should be more oriented towards practical shooting and the practical application of rifle systems based on the history of conflicts of the marine corps so Based on conflicts in the past 20 years, I think a lot of things that are applicable are small unit training and urban movement and training. And urban and movement and training goes along with practical pistol shooting and how that movement and efficiencies work in a group. When I, when I deployed last, I was bringing people to the range overseas because they didn't know how to shoot i was like you guys do not know how to shoot and you're expected to carry this gun and do anything with it and you can't even reload the gun without like asking me for help like th that's a problem so um it sounds like you've been shooting competitively for a while um i think any natural progression for people who've been doing it for a while. And if they do have the time is to become a match director at some point, uh, do you have any aspirations to be a match director and a kind of bring more spice to the North Carolina scene? I've, I've thought about it. Uh, I keep going back and forth. The, the closest club to me is, Okay, uh, the closest club that's actually worth anything to go to for matches is an hour or is about 45 minutes from me. And 
I just feel like the quality of range and the quality of stages is kind of degrading. And also that match director is the match director. He's the RO, he's the stage designer. He's the guy who builds the props. He's the guy that schedules everything. He's the guy that runs practice for runs, pays all the dues for this, for the club. And it's, that's really taxing on just one person. Uh, I, I feel like there could be a better club in this area to attract more shooters. That's the biggest thing that's kind of frustrated me about that area there. Like to around the immediate area. Yeah. You, you have a couple clubs, uh, Ant Hill, you know, uh, is one of them. BNR. BNR. Uh, but it's like, why don't you know we're right around the Marine Corps installation, you know, where people should know how to shoot really well and people should want to compete in order to progress and get better and all that. And it's like, why aren't there more quality clubs and more quality matches around the immediate area? You know, you, I always felt myself whenever I lived down there having to travel two and a half hours to go to a good match. I think the biggest reason, I, there's two big reasons. One, people either are ignorant of how to actually become a match director, because I don't, I'm not really up to tune with it. I have to reach out to other match directors and figure it out. Um, USPSA doesn't really help new clubs start. They ask for your affiliation fee and they say, call us when you want to be in the section meeting. Mm-hmm. And that's all they really do. I think the second thing is being a match director is extremely taxing on your time. It's extremely taxing for a long time. And then you end up babysitting and a lot of people get burnt out. That's the number one thing is people don't want to get burnt out. They, they love the sport. They love everything about USPSA. But as soon as they become a match director, it's, it's anytime you make a hobby into work, it just it kills you. Uh, for me, I can't in good conscience ask my wife to just like, hey, like three days a week, I'm not going to be here until like nine o'clock at night. I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm going to be welding up target stands and figuring out what to do with the stage designs. Like I, and it, I just, I can't do it at the moment, but maybe maybe soon I can. It's just, it's, it's a really hard ask right now. Yeah. I, I I was so up here in Virginia, like we, we have, we had a couple three gun matches uh, and well two gun matches. And that was it. Peacemaker was the only place you could really do that. Well, Peacemaker no longer hosts matches. So realistically in the state of Virginia, we don't have any three gun going on. They used to have one down by Richmond uh, Cavalier. Um, and so I called a couple of the clubs around uh, the right rod and gun clubs or whatever they call them around here. And I was like, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. Is there any chance I can make this possible? Uh, well, you know, we have all these other events going on. I don't think we're going to be able to do it. Another response was, uh, you know, a guy, he was like, Hey, um, yeah, 
we don't have the facility for that. And I already host like a two gun action challenge match. So if you want to come be a part of that, you can, but we don't have any room for any more uh, people taking on a match director role. And it's just like, Holy shit. Do you guys even know how to have a good match? It's just a frustrating aspect that I have up here. I think a lot of is on the three gun side, we used to host at, at my local place we used to host a three-gun match on saturday and a uspsa match on sunday the problem it seems well one the the attendance of three-gun just fell off as soon as three-gun nation kind of folded as soon as you don't have a continuity of rules and everyone's just doing an outlaw match like what are your rules i don't know what are your rules like what division are you shooting i don't know that makes it really unattractive to people. And then the, I think the biggest thing that happened was the price of ammunition that really, really, really soured three gun for a lot of people. I got to buy to be competitive. I got to buy like an, an Atlas Artemis with an RTS two on the top. I have to get some super Gucci out AR 15. That's $3,000. And then I have to get a Benelli M two and then spend 1200 bucks modifying it to make it competitive tack ops. That's, that's like seven grand worth of equipment, including belt systems. And dudes just don't want to do that. They'd rather just go on to Academy, buy a Glock for $380 or 480 bucks, get a belt for 150 bucks and a box of ammo off the shelf for 70 bucks and boom, you're done. I think, I think that's the biggest detriment of 3 I think um, so if you want to be competitive, yeah, you have to you have there's an element of having that ha- having to have the best gear out there. But I think part of it is you got to be good yourself as a competitor. You have to be able to apply the lessons you learned and shoot. Well, I've seen guys go out and win three gun with a Glock, you know, a $2,000 AR and, you know, a $1,200 shotgun. Um, You know, my shotgun's like a $700 Stoger. You know, there's elements where you don't need to spend all the money, but yeah, you're right. Ammunition, you know, that that's always going to be a detriment. Anytime you have to feed three guns, it, it is going to get expensive. Um, so yeah, I get it, but I think there's also still a big following in other areas. Yeah. yeah. The facility I'm at right now, uh, we've got, I think we have four pistol bays currently and a 150, about 150 yard by 75 yard, 300 degree bay. Mm-hmm. And then two, almost a thousand meter bays. Uh, so I could, I mean, it wouldn't be like out of the question that I could host something along the lines of three gun here, but it still comes out of time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got to really want to do it. Yeah. Another thing I'll add is um, I think, uh, so Matt, you mentioned why aren't there more like, good clubs in the Lejeune area. And I think part of it is um, there isn't really the demand from the Marines. Part of it's cost and part of it is, and I was certainly this way, they have um, an idea like the Marine Corps, like you said, Ben, lowest common denominator and like babies you through the range and takes away a lot of your agency and a lot of your like personal investment 
um, your freedom of choice, right? So why would you want more of that? Why that that's all people think about. And some of the ranges here are like that, you know? Oh, oh yeah. I, just, I absolutely agree with you on that. Like the Marine Corps does kind of sometimes suck the life and suck the fun out of shooting um, because we are a risk adverse institution in some cases. Um, but when I started in the competition shooting, that really showed me this is what shooting competition should be like. Yeah, but where did you get your start? On my own. Oh, I got my start in the Marine Corps, but then I got my start in competition up at like Tar Heel 3 Gun. Right. So what I'm saying is like if you go a step beyond that and you realize that competitions are fun in the local Lejeune area, the kind of clubs that are available. Um, I've seen I've met a lot of shooters that are just content shooting Flatwoods, BNR, all those mm-hmm. like really close matches. Um and they just don't expose themselves to anything else. So I think once they get a taste of it, it's just like, it's just difficult. And especially with like this last weekend, Ben and I, we shot Sir Walter on Saturday, which is like a three hour drive for me. And mm-hmm. then we turned around and we shot, you know, the lo- our local club. And that's still like an hour and a half for me. And some people just can't stomach the, the drive distance, the time commitment. But once you get them out there, they're hooked. Oh yeah. Especially if it's quality match. So um, talk a little bit about gunsmithing, Ben. You specialize in 1911s and 2011s. What drew you to those platforms? And can you talk about some of your recent ongoing projects? So the, I, so when I was first going through school, uh, armor school, not really 12 school, uh, I had a conversation with someone and said I would never build 1911 in my life because you had to fit every part. And I was like, there's no, why would you want that ever? Like a gun that like you literally couldn't put together. It just seemed silly to me. When I, I built my first 1911 in 2014 and I kind of got hooked on it because of how much it was like a puzzle. And when I went to 12 school, I got to mentor underneath a, uh, uh, a pistol smith. His name is Jason Armstrong. He's a retired master. Arm. He works for ATF now, but he founded a company called Accuracy X and their pistols were shooting inches at a hundred yards. It was insane what these pistols would do. So I picked his brain like no one's business. And I wanted to just figure out how this thing could be that accurate. So I started experimenting. I did all my own work. I just ended up pumping out a bunch of pistols because I thought it was fun. And now the biggest thing that's drawing me towards 1911 and 2011s right now is I see so many companies doing it wrong. And it drives me up the wall that they, there's one way to do something and there's every other way that's wrong and they're not doing it the right way. Uh, that's my current, that's my current gripe right now is I know that these companies are half-assing something and it bothers me so much that people are spending six, $7,000 on these guns and they're fundamentally built incorrectly to the point where they're not reliable. So my, like my 1911, that is in 45 will feed empty cases all day 
Like, you can just rack cases out of it. Why can't these other guns do that? And it's because they're not built right. And it's, it's, it's incredibly aggravating. But current projects, I'm a little slow right now. Um, I have a 2011 with a cracked slide that I just redid a top end on. Uh, it's out at coding right now. There's another gun coming into me. It's the guy says it is fundamentally unreliable. Like he doesn't know what's wrong with it and he's surprised it hasn't blown up. So it's going to be fun on that one. And then uh, I've got a guy coming in with a limited gun saying that it won't feed. So those are the little projects I have now, but uh, I don't just do 1911s, 2011s. I do everything. Like I'm betting a rifle right now. I'm refinishing a shotgun. Like I do everything, but uh, for 2011s and 1911s, no one else was formally taught how to do it. So uh, I kind of take the rein on all of them. So kind of going on the 2011 topic, uh, which ones do you think are best in terms of quality and craftsmanship that are out there on the market right now? Uh, to the ones that I've seen, the ones that the, the only ones that stand out to me are a couple small companies, McLaren custom guns, Rafferty, Reed pistol smithing, Eddie Garcia, uh, these are all pretty small shops. They, they don't produce any. Eddie Garcia is like, I got 49 pistols a year. Don't talk to me. Like, you got five years, man. Have fun. Uh, for production stuff and actual, like, you might be able to get it in a timely manner. Uh, Infinity. Maybe an Atlas. Uh, those are the ones that I actually have hands-on experience with. Uh I've talked to the owner of Brazos uh, and he knows what he's talking about. I just haven't touched one of his completed guns. Out of all the projects that you've done at Stumpy's, which one did you find the most gratifying and which one have you found the most aggravating? Your so, open pistol. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most aggravating were the last two open guns that i built uh i built one for frank and then i built one for another buddy of mine uh they they were annoying in different ways uh so frank's was annoying because the the person who made the frame didn't do it right and that's like, it's just one of my peeves. If you, if you just don't do it right, it's just, it bothers the crap out of me. So the location and the angles of the sear and hammer holes weren't straight. So the trigger didn't work right. So I had to just spend, I probably spent like three to five hours working on this trigger to make it feel right. I had to re-weld safeties and re-drill detent holes. I had to do all this stuff to make it work right. Other than that, his kind of fell together. Uh, the other open gun I built was a hybrid cut. So you cut a half inch channel along the entire top end of the slide and remove all that metal. It's just a pain to 
fit those. You take it apart and put it back together 90 times before you ever get it right. Uh, so it's just, it's aggravating over time. But I think the most gratifying work that I've done is, uh, honestly, it's any, it's going to sound like a cliche answer, but any of the 1911s that I've built or put out, I've never gotten back. I've never had one person ever come back and say, this thing doesn't work, dude. And I think just knowing that I put my every ounce of pride into everything I do is the most gratifying part of my job. Uh, if I was going to narrow it down to one, I guess I... I built a 1911 that I probably have mm, four or 500 hours in hand polishing, bluing, checkering all by hand. And I kind of wanted to build the ultimate 1911. Like if I was going to spend as much money as I possibly could, it'd be on that again. Uh, I guess that's the one I'm most proud of. It's, it, I, it's, if I was going to sell it, I'd probably want eight, $9,000 for just a simple 1911. It's got gold in it. It's got, <laughs> it's, it's got woolly mammoth ivory grips. It's, it's nice. Gucci gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I call it my barbecue gun. It's like that gun. The only thing I shoot out of it is 230 grain federal HST hollow points. And it never gets carried or touched because it's, I don't want to scratch it. So, you know, what you sound like you're really passionate about the being a gunsmith and everything. What future aspirations do you have moving on up uh, as you continue this lifestyle? Honestly, I want one day to have my own business because I think I offer something that isn't common. Uh, you have, you have company or like gunsmiths that just have dudes that are like parts replacers. They, they look at something and go like, that is obviously broken. Let me fix that. And then you have someone who can, like me, I can build you a custom pistol. I can build you a custom rifle, or I can remake the springs in your 1600 splintlock. Like, I don't care. I'll do it. And that's not common much anymore. And I feel like there's a niche for actual gunsmiths that know how to actually gunsmith. There's I, the difference between an armor and a gunsmith to me is like an armor can replace parts. A gunsmith can make them and confidently make them. Not just like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, but know how intimately how guns work and how to make things properly. What's the best way to hit you up? If someone's interested in getting a custom job done. Um, either you can go through the actual company that I work for Stumpy's custom guns. Uh, you can just search that on Google Stumpy's custom guns in Swansboro, North Carolina. Uh, they have an Instagram page that's pretty popular, or you can go to my personal Instagram page if you have any questions about guns. I don't have trade secrets. I find people who say that there's a secret to what they do. 
the worst humans in the world. I'll share whatever you want. I'll tell you how to do anything. You want to learn how to fit a barrel to a 2011? I'll tell you exactly how I did it because it's not a secret. Uh, my personal Instagram is Ben underscore Faust on Instagram. That's the only social media that I have. I don't, I just like looking at pictures. I'm, that's all I care about. So, but I love sharing information with people. I talk to people for hours at work if they just ask me questions and it's, it's what I really enjoy doing. Uh, I have experienced that personally, not with me, but uh, I once came in to have Ben do something simple. And uh, I listened to him talk to a couple guys about 1911s for straight up an hour while I browsed the shop. It, it turned out that those guys were trying to justify a purchase that they made out of ignorance. And they were trying to get me to say that their purchase was a smart one. I couldn't do it. Ben's not going to do that for you. No. Um, yeah, that open gun you built me, um, I'll put a few rounds through it. I can't wait to start actually shooting with that thing. Um, it's a beautiful gun. Ben does good work. He will give you a solid product that is going to actually function. And I know this because he sees me at matches, and if there's something wrong with the gun, I will let him know. Um, and then he'll, he'll frustrate himself trying to figure out what exactly is wrong with it. Um, Matt, did you have anything else for Ben? No, I don't. I appreciate you coming on here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks again, Ben. Uh, I think there's a great conversation in terms of you as a competitor, uh, you as a Marine, and you as a gunsmith. So thanks again for coming along, coming on the show. And for our listeners, uh, let us know how we're doing and uh, appreciate you listening. Thanks, guys.